Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Let's get ready to rumble! This is jam-packed show today. Peloton of 5%. What's up, Discipline Investor? We got Benzinga CEO Jason Raznick here with us. The man, the myth, the legend, Tom Nash. Peter Schiff on the Power Hour with us live today. Interesting, different. First things first, Trade Idea Show. I have a stock to buy. I was going to do this before the show, but I, I figured I'd, I'd hold out and I'd wait. But, but I'm kicking it off. Starter position. Let, let's get the live brokerage account. This is the live portfolio. We look at it every single day. All right, these are all the stocks that I actually own in their interactive brokers account. They're having a little bit of a red day, most more or less flat today. Uh, but but I'm adding one now, ticker CELH, Celsius Holdings. We're just kicking the week off like this after all the mic problems that you guys had to go through. Um, there it is. Boom. Ticker CELH, Celsius Holdings. It's the drink company. I'm a fan. I'm a consumer. Uh, we were taking a look at the stock last week. Um, we're, we're opening up a position in it today. Basically, the, the, the bull case on this stock is, is that sales are going to way outperform. We, we, we have a, about three weeks until the company is going to be reporting earnings. I expect analysts to revise estimates upward into that earnings report. A couple things to support that thesis. One, the company had to raise $65 million. That's a cash flow positive company. They had to raise $65 million in order to, to, to buy inventory that they'd then be able to provide to their retailers. So, so that is one right there. Uh, catalyst number two that, that we have going on for this stock. Uh, we had Jonah Lupton on last Friday, basically taking us through the Nielsen scan data. So how many barcode scans that Celsius products are getting. Barcode scans are up more than 200% on a year-over-year basis. Right now, the estimate is, is only building in a, an 80% estimate or 80% increase in barcode scans on, on a year-over-year basis. Okay, so, so we've got way out performance there. Uh, and then analysts are forecasting in sequential quarter-over-quarter growth. So, so, so we like this stock for earnings. If I can avoid it, I'd rather not hold the stock through earnings. Instead, I'm buying the stock three weeks before we're expecting to get an earnings report out of this company uh, because I want to take advantage of the estimate revisions higher. So, so analysts come out. They put out earnings estimates on a stock. They, they usually adjust those estimates a few weeks into earnings. So, so that's why I went ahead. Boom, pulled the trigger on Celsius, ticker CELH. We are starting off a Monday strong with a trade. Boom. So I'm going to throw this one out to the crowd, guys. If you like that stock, you like Celsius, again, we're not going to do the full bull thesis because we just did it last week. But finally pulling the trigger today, drop me the one in the chat. If you don't like it, you'd sit on the sidelines. Give me the two. I want to see where everybody's at. And again, guys, drop your tickers in the chat. I want to see what everybody's trading, what everybody is looking at. Um, let, let, let's get these flowing. All right. Um, and let's bring Producer AB on here, too. What's, what, what's up, Producer AB? What's up, Luke? How we doing? It's Monday. Markets are back open. Monday, markets are back open. We already made our first trade of the week. We loaded up on some Celsius. So I got, um, two, I got two questions for you. So you mentioned that you are a consumer of Celsius and you bought the stock. I do have um, two bubblies today, though. That was the drinking choice. Okay, that's good. And I, I did have bubbly. two bangs this morning. So oh, I, I need to slow it down a little bit. So my first question is: Do you do you like buying stocks that you are a consumer of the product or service? Not, not necessarily. I don't. I don't have to be. 
Okay. By any means. Do you have any other? My second question was: Do you have any other stocks either that you have in your portfolio now, or you used to have in your portfolio that you were also a consumer of the product or service? So, so for me, it's 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 less about being a consumer of the product or the service, and more about having some sort of information edge. Uh, uh, not always, right? But but information edge when, when I can. So so as an example, uh, the online brokerages. I own a lot of the online brokerages, including Interactive Brokers, who, who I'm a customer of. And you can see, you know, I got this nice Interactive Brokers logo right here up on the screen. Uh, but I also own some of the other brokerage stocks. And the reason why I own those stocks is because I'm able to see the readership data on Benzinga.com. Benzinga.com, fairly large sample size, 20 million people a month visiting the site. Uh, I have an indication that uh, interest in trading, interest in the market has absolutely not died down. There, there is no dwindling that's happened. The, the stocks have been flat while the market's gone up. Uh, and, and so that's why I own a handful of, of these brokerage stocks. So for me, it's less about necessarily being a consumer of the product. Um, because, because if you're a consumer, sometimes you have an edge, sometimes you don't. Maybe if you're an early adopter in something and, and you're able to understand like something that the market doesn't get yet. Um, but but for me, it, it's more about where do I have that information edge, which in most cases you're not going to have one. Well, we, we, we shall see. Zinger Nation, mostly bullish on that one. We'll continue to follow the trade over the coming weeks. Uh, again, last week we, we had a couple of options trades on the table, Tesla and Ford. We checked in on them every day, so if you're new to the show, that's just what we do. We make trades. We follow them. We have a live real money portfolio that we keep track of. It makes it sort of fun, all right? Um, all right, next up, but before we get to our guests, and again, if you guys are just joining us, this is the Power Hour. This is the Trade Idea Show. Uh, Shinobi Signals is going to be joining us in about three minutes. Then Shadow Trader Peter Resnick is going to be joining us in about 20 minutes. Um, but let's talk about these CRISPR gene editing stocks for a second. Huge news over the weekend out, out Saturday, I believe, maybe Sunday from Intellia Therapeutics, ticker NTLA, November Tango Lima Alpha. Um, Stock's up 15%. It's, it's, it's a CRISPR stock. Uh, again, guys, this is the Trade Idea Show, so I want to give you the other tickers, um, the other gene editing stocks to, to take a look at that are on the move today on the heels of this. You have ticker E-D-I-T, that's edit. Uh, you've got CRISPR, T-R, or sorry, C-R-S-P. Then you have Beam Therapeutics, it's ticker B-E-A-M. Per our trusty Benzinga Pro. Uh, and then if you're looking at this one in particular, again, this is Intellia. Uh, you, you've got analysts out in full force. You've got a 171 price target, a 110 price target, a 160 price target, 63, 134. And then this low of the street at 87 bucks. Stock last traded at 133. So, so that's the move on the gene editing stocks. Obviously, Kathy Wood has been a huge proponent of these stocks, gotten a lot of the crowd into these stocks. So, so if you are in these, you're hanging out with them, congratulations. Big day for you. Um, yeah, what is ArcG doing today? Kathy's uh, genomic ETF. Wh- wh- which, what's the ticker on that one? ARKG. ARKG up 3%. Let, let's let just look. In the one minute that we have, let's just take a look at the biggest holdings of this one, unless you know them offhand. I do not, but if we go to ETFDB. I'm just going to go to their website, dude. Oh, that's even better. It's straight from the source. All right. Where are the holdings? There we go. Top 10 holdings. Teladoc is the top holding. That's interesting. That is sort of interesting. 
All right, so so none of those gene editing names that we just read off are, are in the top holdings here, which actually sort of surprised me. Surprises me as well. I'd be even more shocked if they're not in the ETF at all. I'm sure they are just in a smaller, just outside of the top 10 holdings. Okay. Um, what else have we been looking? So I've been catching up on all the Bitcoin stocks today, Mara, uh, SOS, Voyager. Yeah, we got a nice little Bitcoin rise this weekend. Yeah, I think kind of the, you know what they say about price and sentiment, nothing nothing like a change in price to change sentiment. I feel like all the people that were kind of doom and gloom about- I'm finally green on Coinbase again. There we go. I just need to sell that stock. I've been sitting at break even on this position for like a month. <laughs> I have no reason to own it right now. And the other stock that's been moving a lot today, well, we got a couple more, Workhorse, WKHS is up about nine percent today luke um i think they're trying to what they announced they're like suing the government for not getting the contract that they awarded to oshkosh oh i didn't know that yeah that's that's the move if you don't get the contract that you wanted just well they were supposed to get it right and then they lost out to oshkosh I missed that. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I'll, I'll find the PR and drop it in. All there. right, but let's go ahead and let's bring Shinobi on here. It's time. Let's do it. Yo, hello, up, hello, guys? sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Thank doing you guys well. for having me on here. Absolutely. Welcome to the Power Hour, especially on the, this Monday morning afternoon. I, I don't know where where in the country you are to to get the time zone, but but <laughs> yeah. what's up in your world? I, I was looking on Twitter earlier. It looks like you have some some hot stocks, some trades you're looking at this morning. But yeah, yeah. T- tell us what's up. Uh, I was mainly just looking at, you know, Clorox. Uh, so the way I just trade or just, you know, how the market's been, there's a lot of stocks that have been beaten down, um, you know, since uh, since uh, the past few months uh, after hitting some highs in January. So I've just been playing a bunch of reversals on the daily charts. Uh, is there a way I can pull up my screen real quick? Absolutely. B- BYOC. Whenever guests have BYOC, we, we like it. Bring your own chart. Um <laughs> And, and, and you know what, before we get into it, why, why don't you go ahead and, and give us a little bit of your background and, and, and tell us a little bit about your trading journey? Uh, well, I started two years ago um, in high school. So what I was just doing is I got $200 from my dad for just doing t- chores around the house and just started throwing in, you know, like stuff like Apple, getting fractional shares and stuff, threw it in Apple, Microsoft, all these big companies. And then when COVID hit and, you know, school was shut down, I was a senior then. Uh, last year is when I really started diving into options because I saw it on TikTok. <laughs> um, okay. And then from there, I met this group of people that put me in this uh, group chat on Snapchat. And they really just taught me how to trade options and just gave me, um, you know, the knowledge I needed to learn them. So then after that, you know, I just kind of went off on my own and just started learning everything on my own. Just, you know, researching stuff, buying courses like uh, Umar Ashraf's course. I bought that. It was like $2,000 and that was the most helpful one. Shout out Umar. Okay. Good friend yeah. of Benzinga. Yeah, yeah, Umar is awesome. And you've, I mean, you've built an incredible Twitter following over. How, I mean, how long have you been been on FinTwit for? Uh, I mean, I really started in uh, the end of February, like early March, when um, okay. Zach was talking about Fubo, and then I wrote like a twelve page report um, at this one uh, college party I was at, and then I was okay. you know researching Fubo and stuff, and then I posted it, and then Zach retweeted it, and that's where I got like most of my fun was building. Uh, you know, these really long and like, you know, in-depth reports about stocks that, um, you know, everyone on FinTwit was talking about. So Fubo was one of them, ITRM, LOTS, CRBP, stuff like that. And that's how I gained um, a good chunk of my following in the beginning. 
And then, you know, things died down when the market and, was and, down. And can you tell us a little bit about those reports? So, so you said you put together a 12-page report on Fubo. What exactly goes into that? And, and really, but before you get to that, I used to do the same thing when I was in college. When I, I used to have to write the Benzinga weekend newsletter. It was like an eight-page PDF every single weekend. And it would be yeah, Friday, 11 p.m., at a college party, some upstairs bedroom. Be cranking on that thing. I think I can say that. Wait, so you, Shinobi, you were at the party when you wrote the paper on Fubo? Yeah, I was. Um, it wasn't like inside a dorm. It was just outside because we weren't allowed in the dorms, and I don't live on campus. So I was just in the courtyard with like three or four of my friends, and they were just talking about random stuff. And I was on there on my phone on Google Docs, just writing stuff, <laughs> switching tabs off my phone, doing all that type of good stuff. While I was on the phone with some of my friends, uh, and we were all just talking about Fubo, and I was writing the report because I wanted to get it out. Uh, it was on a Sunday. I wanted to get it out before um, Monday market opened. That's so, incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. And then, yeah, so like what really went into the reports is actually a lot of stuff. So Fubo is definitely my most detailed one. I, uh, I held, uh, Some of my friends, two of them are data scientists. One's at RKT uh, and then one is uh, for this like one med company. And they're both data scientists there. So I had them help me, you know, try – figuring out um they did most of the work on that uh the chart you guys see in the uh, report so what was happening is they tried estimating their earnings all that type of good stuff figuring out you know how many subscribers they would have and right before earnings and all these press conferences came during march and you know we were super close i think we were like 50k off um on their revenue stuff like wow. that which is you super nailed cool. it yeah that's it was real that's amazingly close yeah, yeah I owe a lot Luke, of credit to them. As long as Lucas is within like a couple million, he thinks it's pretty good. But being 50K away is that's impressive. Yeah, it was awesome. And then I was also remember when um Fubo had this uh website come out called FuboBets.com yes, and everyone yes, was expecting yes, them yes. to have sports gambling. I was on Twitch trying to figure out if it was real. So I um I actually had to hire a software engineer and just like these website people just go check and you know trace everything. And what we found out is I was on live one time. Uh, on Twitter live, Zach retweeted it. So I started freaking out because there's like 5,000 people in there. So we started, um, you know, going through like why we thought the website was real. Um, so what we figured out is when the domain it was did bought, end up being real, correct? The, yeah. the company created it, but it wasn't active, right? Was that what yeah, it, was? it wasn't it was real, but not active? Yeah, they just had it. So, but I mean, that was enough news to, you know, move the stock, which was, you know, awesome because Everyone was saying I was like crazy and stuff. It was fake because one of their members came out or Fubo team came out, said it wasn't theirs. And I'm like, you know, they can't really just come out and say it's theirs unless they get the proper approval from, you know, company execs and stuff. So what we did was we figured out when they originally bought the domain or when it was created was right around the time Fubo was created in like oh, yeah. a week um, prior. And when Fubo IPO'd and switched from, I forget, um, I think it was FaceBank or something like that. They switched uh, and IPO'd uh, as Fubo. That's when the website was updated to be Fubo Bets. And yeah, it was just insane. And then it was real. And they came out and said it was real. It was awesome. What about, I've seen the latest rumors on Twitter about Fubo, like that they're partnering with the Tennessee Titans or anything like that. Have you seen those? No, I haven't. I mean, as, as of right now, like, you know, I've been in Fubo. I've been adding these dips at like in the teens and stuff. Uh, everyone was calling me crazy, but you know, now it's starting to come back. I just honestly bought it and left it to hold uh, for, you know, however long. Uh, I want to see 70 on the stock. I think I bought it somewhere around like $28 and then it went all the way down to like 18 and I was down like 40% on my trade with Fubo, but I just never got out of it. I just held it. And then finally now I'm, I, I, 
I was like, I was red in this trade for like three months and was like, this is the worst trade I've ever made. And then finally <laughs> I just held on and now it's green. Finally. Yeah. It's awesome. Now's when nice. you have a lot of those people FOMOing in and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's going to have its time one of these days. Yeah. I think this is one that you can just keep adding to on the dip, but, yeah. uh, put yeah, it in the raw. Definitely like been says. a fun one. To, yep. Like Hugh says, <laughs> shout out Hugh. Yeah. He's awesome. Right. But all right. You, you were about to get into Clorox. Um, should we, should we look at that one? Yeah, so I actually have the chart pulled up. All right, let me add yours. Oh, there we go. Yeah. All right, so this is my uh, Clorox char uh, chart. I posted this last night. Um, there was this guy in my Discord. Uh, it's a free Discord. Uh, Soho, he actually showed me the setup. So what I've been playing is a lot of these downtrend breakouts. So Clorox actually had a price downgrade and hit a 52-week low and then had a bunch of um, volume just show up and send it back, which was kind of cool. So right here, you know, I drew out this falling wedge, uh, you know, on a smaller scale. And then on a larger scale, I drew out this insane downtrend. It just broke and it broke on Friday. So I entered today close to open because and I have all this written out. So you see Alex is bouncing off the bottom of the Bollinger Band deviation clouds yeah. and squeezing super tight in a downtrend consolidation channel, which had formed a small falling wedge, which has broken out with volume. And you can see the volume spike right here. Uh, also, you know, on the volume profile. Uh, you know, there's this sort of a gap until you're, we're not going to have much pressure, uh, selling pressure coming until around like 186, 187. And that should be enough to, you know, I trade options. So that should be enough. That move, that $5 move should be enough to, you know, move the contracts a couple hundred percent. And um, so, so which, uh, okay. So, so, so we're looking at Clorox guys, ticker CLX. Um, and and you, you, you said you got the options, which, which strike did you pick and how far out did you go? All right, so I got seven sixteens, and then um, July sixteen, I got one ninety strike. Uh, main reason is because out of all the July sixteenth um, at the money out the monies, they had the highest open interest, and you know that provides liquidity um, on the actual contract. So I hopped into those. They were like around, I think around like forty fifty cents when uh, I hopped in and called it out, and now they're sitting around uh, eighty cents, eighty five cents, something like that. So a little over like fifty percent. There you go. And, 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 are, and are you still in it or are you looking for, for it to keep riding? Yeah, I'm I mean, still in it move right now. Yeah, I'm still in it with my full position. I actually want to see it break, um, break and hold past 180, which is doing really well right now. Uh, if we close above 180, that's just setting us up for the next leg, um, you know, all the way up until here. 186 is my main target. And then, you know, possibly 190 if we continue. Um, so, yeah, I'm really watching uh, or I'm still holding with my full position. Uh, because I still think this has a lot of room to run, especially when you break out such of a big daily downtrend. You know, you're always going to see a nice pop upwards, especially with the deviation clouds. They're also starting to, um, they pinched and now they're starting to disperse. And that's like one of my favorite setups to play. And then on the squeeze pro, what we're also seeing is a low squeeze happening. Um, and it's going to have some bullish divergence. And so it's shifting from um, a high downtrend into a dying downtrend. That's going to slowly shift over into the light blue, which is, you know, um, a high compression uptrend. And that's what we're seeing uh, right now is it's happening right in front of our eyes. Should and, be. And, and how are you looking at the 180 level? Is it a psychological level? And, and that's why, why you're looking at that. Is there something else on the chart that you're looking at that makes 180 especially interesting? Right. Yeah. So obviously it's a, a yeah, it's also a cycle level, but then you can see here it um, three days, it hit 180 and then rejected down before hitting a low. So I'll draw that out right here. Okay. So right there, you could see it hit one, two, three, then it just shot down, right? So for us being able to break that level so clean and, you know, perfectly, it's just showing a really good sign that, okay, we can make strides to 182 today and then possibly even 190 
um, if we just continue this uh, momentum that we have with the volume it has behind it right now. So 180 is definitely a cycle, but also on the daily, it, it was showed um, showed a lot of resistance. And also back here, it also bounced off this 180, 179 level right here. So that's a pretty big level that we just broke past today. So, right, so and, and wait, wait, hold on. Shinobi's got to get his first air horn. Boom! Breaking the ideas. So far, so good on the trade, guys. If you're joining us, this is the Power Hour, the Trade Ideas Show. I, I dropped the first one with, with the Celsius long. Uh, Shinobi's coming in with Clorox, ticker CLX. Uh, producer AB, I cut you off. Keep going. Well, I just, I, you know, usually uh, we have a different uh, slowdown guy on the show, but right now I kind of want to slow things down. When you, what, what's your signal to get into a stock like this when it has a continued downtrend like we've seen in Clorox since it, well, what are those highs that went up to like 230 a couple months ago? Yeah. So obviously this was um, a big COVID name as well. Clorox, everyone uh, was buying it up, you know, yep. and the stores, even the stock. But right now what I was seeing is, um, you know, I'm mainly of a, a technical trader. I also use the price, uh, you know, I watch the tape and price action level to all that, but that's on my thinkerswim. I just pulled up this for right now on trading view because it allows for more custom customizing on the charts and stuff. But mainly what I watch for is I just like to see the downtrend break with a good amount of volume, right? So once that happens, you know, the people will always, you know, all the algos start hitting on it, you know, market makers start showing up because that's when it starts to reverse really. Uh, another thing I really like to look at is if it breaks and then retests the the level and that's when I'll add again, and then it jumps back up. So I'll show you guys a, uh, something that didn't work out. So this was a trade I was looking at. Um, Cole in my Discord, he looked this at, uh, looked this up for us. So right All here, right, you guys him can, on blast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was his fault. <laughs> but right here, you guys can see his daily downtrend. It was a super nice, um, super nice play. It was setting up super nice. We had the squeeze. We had a good amount of volume. We even had the VPA protecting us around this level where it's at right now. It broke past on Friday, and you know I thought today it would come down to retest because when the market opened, it was super red. When it came back to retest, it actually broke under the level. And, you know, Cole actually hopped in before, um, you know, it retested and confirmed it. He hopped in before he blindly entered. So that was, you know, something you don't do. But over here, you can see once it broke through, I was like, yo, just cut your losses. You know, it's going to dip down more because it broke such a big level here. You know, now we're probably going to see it come down to this 108 support, which is always had. So it was a downtrend, but it was also forming a descending wedge um, and had a support at 108. So we're probably going to see it come down to 108 before it, you know, either breaks under 108 and just completely tanks or bounces back and tries breaking the downtrend to the upside and, you know, continue with the S&P 500. But usually we look for a retest of that level and then, you know, add back on those dips. But here it wasn't that way. So you do you do both like the fundamentals and technical analysis because you were um, essentially calculating what you expected the the revenue to be of Fubo, and you're also doing the charts. Do you do you tend to do both on like every single trade you make, or, or what's your process on that? All right. So when I trade, um, you know, options, and I'm looking for like one to two week swings, I won't really take a big dive into the company's you know fundamentals and stuff. I'll mainly trade off technicals on those. But if I'm you know looking for a long term stock like you know Fubo, when I uh, played that, I was looking at the technicals. It was setting up really well, and then I really take a deep dive into the fundamentals. Because, you know, technicals aren't going to, you know, send the stock up that much. 
um but fundamentals you know for longer term swings and stuff like that like i have it in my roth so i'm swinging it for a long time i have my price target and i'm gonna hold it till then or until it hits my stop loss so i usually you know take a deep dive into the fundamentals and actually you know i was emailing um their their investor relations like on a daily basis back then too trying to get as much information as i could and i was you know showing up to all their conferences online so you know i really that's incredible yeah, I really take a deep did, dive. Did investor relations respond to you? They got back to you and everything? Yeah, they got back fairly quickly, like same day type stuff. And so I mean, guys, people are accessible. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't know if you don't try. That's great. Yeah, and, so we've and, heard and from so, a. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say we've heard that from a number of guests, including Jack Hurley. He loves to do that is reach out to the companies, reach out to their IR team, reach out to the management. He said it's a good sign when they're accessible, when they get back to you uh someone asked a good question out of the chat what what sort of questions do you ask the investor relation teams when you reach yeah. out so i always just ask so like for fubo the main thing i was asking is like you know are you guys integrating sports betting and you know obviously they would dodge the question they would be like oh we're having this conference here you can ask it there so mainly i would ask when are your next conferences you know where can i sign up all that type of stuff and then i'd really ask them like okay how much does the company have on like cash on hand all that type of stuff and they'd usually send me a link to like an sec filing or something where it shows all the information so i didn't really have to go look for it so they would just do all the hard work for me i just sent the emails uh just stuff like that there you go outsourcing the work awesome <laughs> all right what 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 one last question for you so so obviously you started young you talked about you wrote the fubo paper while you were at a college party which i absolutely love um what what's the plan is, is it trade full-time are you going back to school are you done with school what, what what's the plan yeah, so I'm Indian, right? So my parents, they want me to go to college. You're going um, to school, okay. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I'm going to trade full-time uh, while I'm there and then right after too because basically like do what Hugh did. I was talking to Hugh and then you know, talking to him about dropping out, but then he told me, he's like, yo, if I could get through four years, you could do the same. You know, even if it's not good, just have the, um, you know, the knowledge or experience that comes with it. And, you know, Hugh's the man, so I'm always going to listen to him. Boom. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, joining the Power Hour, dropping an idea, full breakdown, full write-up on CLX. That's what we do here. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you again for Thanks hopping for on. Us. Boom. How about that one, Producer AB? That was fun. That was, was a good, good interview. guys. I liked it. What's up, Jason? Welcome. I, I liked Power it. Hour. Can you guys Mr. Raz in the house. Yeah. All right, I got... The Tesla chart pulled up for you, Mr. Raznick, up two and a half percent today. I know. It's Elon Musk's birthday. Uh, that's a nice little birthday payday for him. Anytime the stock is up, you know, a couple percent, he makes a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I, it's still my biggest position by far because I don't know how to sell with hedging. Like today, I would like probably hedge a little bit, but I'm just not good like that. I don't know how to do that. So, all right. We're bringing on Shadow Trader. Hello, hello. How are hello, you? Hello, hello to you. What's going How on? How are you? Uh, are you still kicking butt for everyone? I am. It's my job. It's your job. You always do it. You're like one of the most popular guests we have. You've been doing this for years upon years, and you have such a following out there. I appreciate um, that, Jason. Thank you. It's true. It's true. It's not even – it's just facts. It's not even me being mm -hmm. nice. It's facts. That's facts. what it is. It is. That's what the kids say. They just go facts. Yeah, facts. Fa facts. That's what the big kids facts. Do. If it's really like a, a big one, you know, you got to go big facts. Oh, big really? facts? Oh, good. All right. Good. I, I, I add that to my repertoire. All right. There you go. So how? what's the market telling you these days? Or 
like yeah take it away i mean do you want to do you want to share your screen charts anything you want to put up on uh, the screen? We, we could in a second but first um here's where i'm at i think i think fed continues to dominate this whole thing and it will be a little bit of time before some actual tapering occurs that we had a big tell recently i think where um we had a little bit of a scare in that that taper word came up and then you know you had powell and then you had bullard come over the top the next day with even more sort of hawkish ambitions but price is king and it showed us very quickly that the market rejected any sort of weakness which i think to me at least tells us that in the sh short term which is the arena that i play in the market is just waiting on the next move. So does that mean we're okay for the next, I guess it's four weeks now or whatever. I'm going to look at my blotter, like whatever the next meeting is, right? Do we, are we okay until that? Probably more than likely. Um, between now and then, I think all people need to just watch for is potentially something on rates. Um, I know we have a debt ceiling thing, end of July, 30, uh, end of July, I think 31st, but I'm just trying to kind of put into perspective any, pitfalls that occur or how long of a runway we have before the market has any sort of, you know, reaction, basically, you know, potentially to the downside. That's what I'm thinking. So it's, it, to me, it's the same trade for me that I've had on for months now, which is just a more tentative, conservative version of what I usually do. I tell my subscribers this all the time, that how I feel about the market is 100% reflected in my trades. And obviously I, you know, I run an advisory, so I share my trades live with subscribers. If I'm doing risk reversals, for instance, where I'm willing to constantly sell puts to use the money to buy calls, that's the most bullish I can be, right? Because think about it, that that's, that's the most, that's the most bullish stance. That's the, right. You're, you're literally taking on risk on both sides, right? Your calls could go to zero. The market could fall. The puts could go against you. I do that a lot. Like I'm always, if, if I'm bullish, I'm always looking to sell puts in order to finance those calls. So that's a very bullish stance. We haven't done that many of those types of trades over the last few months because the market has just felt more tentative. Does that, you know, we're still making money, we're still doing stuff, but we're more opting for a, uh, a softer approach of like, okay, well, we see this name, we like it. What structure can we put in where we could sell some put credit using, you know, brokering butterfly ratio spread, whatever, something complex, as opposed to just going, you know, all in on that, that call side. Um, and that's where I'm at. And I kind of stay there, you know, like right now, I'll be honest with you, what do I have? I'm looking down at my sheets because I, I, I'm, I'm old school and I write everything down with pen and paper. Uh, we're long Tesla, we're long Caterpillar. Uh, we're long Tesla again. We just closed kind of, kind of, we got a small piece of one Tesla for the end of this week. We just rinse, repeat, did another Tesla for July 9th. I just did a small AMAT. We'll look at that chart in a second for the end of this week. I think AMAT's got a little chip shot up a little bit higher, 146. Um, but that's about it. That's really it. You know, so and I've got some names to share with you. I know this is a stock picker's uh, sort of hour, uh, trade yep. ideas, whatever. So I got a few, but you know, I'm just telling you where I'm at right now. Yep. It's the hour of trading ideas. And so- yeah. Uh, on your Tesla uh, positions, mm -hmm. what month do you buy? What strike price? I think you said July, but I just, I just want to go into it a little no, bit. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what I do is I rinse, repeat weekly options. My time frame outlook is very short. So what, what, what I do is 
I would look for a situation about 10 or 11 days before expiry. So all the expiries are obviously on Friday. So I would look to get active on the Tuesday or Wednesday of the prior week, which I was, have always found is the sweet spot of exactly where there is still premium to be had and also when it immediately starts to erode very quickly. As you know, that theta starts to accelerate very fast once you get into the latter part of the week that precedes the expiry. So that's the sweet spot for me. And those folks that are listening know my MO. Those of you who follow me in my weekly options advisory, you know that that's pretty much my MO is I will take that expiry that's 10 days away and I will look at it this way. I would say, okay, I'm bullish. What are the two structures on the two different sides? Meaning what can I structure on the put side that will bring in credit, but at the same time, not leave me exposed to a lot of risk and what structure can, what, and then I, can I take that premium and use either all of it or part of it to establish some structure on the call side uh, to benefit from the move up. And depending on how bullish I am or how, or more importantly, how okay I feel with the market at this time, which as I said, I don't feel all that, you know, hundred percent okay with it. That will def decide what those structures will be. For instance, let's just take all the way to one end of the extreme. If, if I'm extremely bullish and I'm cool with the market, that structure could will probably be something like selling those puts straight up naked, taking a lot of risk, and buying an expensive call vertical on the call side, right? Let's fast forward to where we are now. I do it differently in the Tesla trade. We just did it. We actually just, this is our third one, actually. These have worked out fantastic. Uh, I'm looking back at my notes. We did one for June 25th. We did July 2, and now we're doing July 9th. So, for instance, uh, June 25th, we sold the 550-500 put ratio. Credits were fantastic. There's a lot of great IV in Tesla. It was $1.50 credit. That's huge. So think about it. You're long a 550 put, and you're short two times 500 puts. So you've got downside protection, and at the same time, you're collecting $1.50. So if the stock tanks, love it. I might even make 50 bucks. Do I think it's going to 500? No. So I love the trade. Obviously, it's a little bit margin intensive, but you can cut it off using Brokerwing Butterfly, whatever. So I take that $1.50, and then in this case, I spent it on, I'm just looking back at my notes, what I spend it on. Uh, 620, 640, 660, call Butterfly, I guess. Uh, that, that was that there. Or actually, no, I apologize. 620, 630, call Vertical, um, you know, in that, in that sense. So you, so you see, you kind of get the idea. You're bringing in some some defined credit on one side and you're, you're getting some sort of upside uh, that way. July 2nd um, was very similar thing, 570, 500, $1.30 credits. And we had a structure that was uh, 650, 680, 710. Um, turned out that your know, stock rallied a little bit much faster than we thought. So we didn't, we didn't capitalize that much on the call side, still made a little bit of money. But then we did some esoteric stuff on the put side, adjusting that 570, 500 a little bit higher continually taking in credits as we go, you know? And one last thing I'll just say, and I know that maybe for some folks listening, this is a little bit esoteric. It's a little bit, you know, beyond kind of basic options theory, but understand that, understand this. If you have a stock, and this is kind of a holy grail, I, I, it really is. I think people should really listen to this. If you have it, it's very simple. If you have a stock that has high IV and you are able to put on a structure where you buy one and sell two on either side if there's high enough IB, but obviously it's easier on the put side. Understand that if that structure is really wide, as time goes by, even if the stock does nothing, right? 
the structure has to expand in your favor, right? Because all options do what? They're all on a bell curve like this. So they all do this and they all crunch at the money, right? So if I'm long, closer to the fat part of the distribution and I'm short the tails, well, the tail keeps losing money and the long, right? So you see my point. So that's, that's to me, that's always been fascinating because you want to sell credits to make money, but I, try, I teach people how to sell credits and then close that trade for more credits. Not many people do that. You know, people just sell credits and then they would, but what they usually do, which I think is ludicrous, is they either just sell the puts naked or they sell it as a vertical. And a vertical structure makes sense. I get it. I understand that's kind of the simplest form of, of options, you know, trade of, of kind of putting to get things together more complex than a single. But me personally, I would rather be long before short. So I, you know, so that way when the market has a downturn, I think that the most money is made in the markets by sort of enhancing how well you sleep at night. And if you can keep, because what that does for us as traders is it maintains an even keel of our emotional capital. And that's something that newer traders don't understand is they don't, they don't put enough value on their emotional capital. They're just constantly staring at their financial capital. But if you deplete your emotional capital, and a good example would be selling a vertical in the stock, and then the stock is down three days in a row, and then you close the put vertical for a huge loss. You know, it might not have hurt you that bad, but this is destroying you emotionally. Your emotional capital is really getting hurt that way. Whereas if you were in a ratio spread or broken wing butterfly or unbalanced butterfly, and you had a different structure that was still collecting credit, you would either probably sit tight your spread would kind of, you know, not expand too much against you. You might look at it as, aha, I'm about to come into the sweet spot of my put spread. I could actually close this for a further credit. Or you see what I'm saying? Like, it's a completely different mindset. You would you would look at things uh, differently. So I just, I just want to mention that because I think that's very important that uh, a lot of people don't talk about that difference between, you know, emotional capital, financial capital, and uh, it's important. Yeah, that's really interesting. We might have to have you on sometime for a more extended uh, appearance to break down the, the butterfly spread and all that. Um, so Absolutely. Pete, real quick, um, you mentioned that the market right now you find kind of tentative, like, mm -hmm. you know, you're not having as much. What what would it take for you to become more, uh, for your sentiment to be more bullish? Would it be the next Fed meeting and them saying that they're not going to raise rates, something along those lines? Or Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, honestly, at this point, given the way the market is trading in that we continually make new highs every day, but we make them very incrementally. And I'm a big believer that that's not, it's bullish and it certainly can go on for a long time. Don't get me wrong. But I think we would all agree that that's the type of complacency that tends to smack people in the face a lot. And I guess, you know, to answer your question more specifically, yeah, if, if we had another meeting and then the market had the same exact reaction as it did now where they, you know, the, the meeting will consist of them starting to talk about starting to talk about, right? Like that's what they did the last time, basically, you know, is they, they said, well, we're just starting to talk about maybe starting to talk about taper because they want to couch it as softly as possible. And like we said, the market went down for a day and a half and rejected all those lower prices. If it did that again, then yeah, we would have to assume, okay, once again, this market is absolutely not fearful of a of a curtailing of bond buying or whatever. And the market's just going to stay focused on the fact that if they hew to uh, we're not raising till 2023, you know, and then there's a couple dissenters that say, no, it's going to be 22 or whatever. Then I guess that's it, you know, and we have to just, uh, you know, maintain course. But at the same time, I think it, it does make sense for uh, 
short-term traders or traders of any ilk to take uh, note of how long it's been uh, since any sort of correction. I just saw a blurb this morning and uh, you guys might be able to look it up for more detail. I apologize. I don't remember the exact, but it's been the longest time, I think, since a 5% correction, something like that, right? Is eight months or something like that. I can't remember the specifics, but I, I read it this morning uh, and I should have actually snapshot it to, to, to write it down because I thought it was significant that there's a certain amount of time has passed since you know a, a larger 5% correction. And, you know, that's just how things happen. And certainly, don't get me wrong, I absolutely am not thinking bearish. I, I do very little on the put side. Uh, I generally get active on the put side after we have one good day down. But the good day down has to exhibit certain characteristics. There has to be an uh, increase in tempo, uh, increase in uh, negative breath, negative advanced decline lines. Contextually, it has to kind of show and prove because there's lots of uh, liquidation breaks in the markets that are nothing but that, where you have sort of last in, first out, where uh, short momentum traders who just happen to be the last ones holding the bag will tend to, you know, dump a bit. But that's not the same, you know, that's not the same thing as something more protracted that'll, uh, you know, that'll go on. So, you know, I, I just, I think, and I apologize for rambling a bit, but I'll tell you what, what I'm doing, both for myself and for my subscribers is trying my best to always err on the side of caution while making money consistently. And I think if you do that, you will be profitable over time. Uh, you will hit less home runs, but you will sleep better at night. And then your emotional capital will be always, your, your emotional capital tank, so to speak, think of it that way, will always be full. It'll always be very full. And that will allow you to take larger risks on down the road when you see something big you want to go for. Like, okay, like now I think we, we have a peak here. I have a specific stop in mind. I can kind of put it up against this S&P level and, you know, let's buy, you know, 25 contracts of puts on the downside or, or whatever we want to do, you know, something like that. Got it. And then, uh, Peter, I do have applied materials chart pulled up amat i don't know if you want to pull up your charts or your screen but i do have it pulled up i just wanted to get your uh thoughts on this stock right now i know you absolutely can you throw that on a daily we can just your chart looks great we can just do it right on yours it looks fantastic yes yeah, sir. so so you see this shelf that's building right there and you right even, here yeah you even have that line right across which is perfect and if you just count those days i mean it's one two three, three four. four this is the fifth day that we've tested that level um, you know, that's just basic TA. I mean, it's just, it should break. Right. I mean, um, I saw something earlier today saying that the, uh, uh, the chip supply issue should be, you know, solved by a certain time. It just struck me as bullish. This, this, uh, thing I read on it, but that, you know, that it's not something I would base a trade on, but I'm, I'm curious, maybe that's the reason why we're getting a little bit of an uptick here. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. a lot of these Nvidia was also lugging up today really big. I mean, Absolutely. Nvidia is one of one of my favorite stocks, almost up to 800 all-time highs here. Absolutely. I, I think definitely we're seeing some of that tension in that market being eased in the supply chain for, yeah. for semiconductors. And that's how it always happens, right? Is there's a, a shortage or a tension in the supply chain. And then eventually, as it always does, the, the supply chain wins out and gets it figured out, whether it's with oil. Uh, semiconductors, yeah. no matter what it is, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. So this play in AMAT is is really just short term. I was thinking that for the end of this week, if we breach this little uh, resistance level, it would make sense to target something around that uh, 146 strike because it is that that midpoint, uh, not midpoint, excuse me, midpoint of like a butterfly or something like that, but it's that prior high. 
Um, yeah, we got so, it right up here. One exactly. Yeah, so one forty-six. If, if, if anyone's interested, those uh, one forty-two, one forty-six, uh, one fifty call flies for the end of this week are about seventy-seven cents, seventy-five to seventy-seven cents, and that strikes me as good risk reward because you know it's better than five to one or four to one rather. Um, right? Yes, yeah, four bucks. So it's better than four to one. I like to be at like three to one is kind of my minimum. Uh, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't like options plays where it's like, just, you know, look to double your money or whatever. I, I'm trying to look at spreads that are about one third of their max value. This one's less than a quarter. So I kind of like that. Um, not big size because you're, and the reason I say not big size is because not because I'm not trusting of the pattern. I think it looks great, but when your duration is short, as is this particular trade, because it's only out to Friday, understand this, you got to be right. And you got to have a lot of things happen at the same time for you to be right. So it kind of turns into more of a binary event. So when I was putting this out for my subscribers earlier today, I said, you know, this is a smaller size trade because when that duration is short and you don't have a lot of premium in that chain le left to work with, there's not many adjustments you can make. So what happens basically is, you know, let's say AMAT falls out of bed and it's trading, you know, 133 tomorrow, what's going to happen is obviously you're going to lose a lot of premium and there's not a lot you can do with that. Where conversely, let's say you're in a butterfly structure that has uh, a full 11 days to go or two weeks or even three weeks. And, and I certainly do stuff like that all the time. Um, that's much easier to adjust. You can take those strikes and you can do things with them because you've got premium to work with. So that's the only caveat I would say to people is if you, if you like the idea, it's, it's more of a smaller size idea because you have less opportunity to adjust on a short duration. Got it. And for anyone just joining us, this is uh, Peter from Shadow Trader. I got his Twitter in the chat if you want to give him a follow on Twitter. Um, Peter, thank you for joining us today. We are running out of time. But like I said, I'd love to have you back on another time for a more extended stay to be able to uh, you know, break down those call butterfly spreads a little bit more complex. No doubt. Anytime. Anytime. I love what you guys are doing with the channel. I think it's fantastic. We appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Shadow Trader's the best. We appreciate it. Have a good rest of your Monday, sir. Thank All right, man. You guys take care. Yep. We'll Happy trading. Yep. Good trading too. Yep. Bye -bye. I like to do this when I go on. So what am I getting hurt on today? And what am I up on today? So Tesla, I'm getting uh, Upwork is up 2.44%. UPWK, we're at 57. I know a lot of us bought more in the low 40s. I bought more. My original buy was like at 21 or something or whatever now. I bought another 200 shares. It's, uh, it's one of my biggest positions up work. Uh, Generac is still doing nicely um, um, today. Uh, GAN is coming back a little bit. API is coming back. The one that I what thought. About, uh, big 10, B10 or whatever. Yeah, we'll go to that. Big 10. Yeah, we'll go, one second. We'll go to that. And then um, so where I'm getting hurt today, let's go to the ones I'm getting hurt. And the ones I'm getting hurt on are what you're talking about. So FGF. Is down 43 cents today. It was up um, a ton on Friday. People are getting excited about the um, op, op loans uh, going public, the SPAC conversion. BTN is what the second one you're talking about. BTN is down 3% today, almost at five. Still up 89% on BTN, up 82% on FGF. Uh, let's see what uh, Big Five is doing. BGF. Oh, that's different. Big Five, I don't own anymore. That's different. So that's. One we bought at 189 and sold at 250. Um, the one that I want to bring on though, that's down today. Six flags. So we're down almost six percent today. Is oh, there is there is there news on Benzinga Pro? Is that a why is it moving? 
Shares of travel hotel cruise companies are trading lower amid increasing COVID-19 cases in Asia, as well as concerns over the Delta variant of the virus. Okay, so six is down 5.7%. If this, if this becomes a bigger issue, then you're not going to see six and 60. So I'm, I haven't purchased more today. It is one of my bigger positions, but I'm down 9% on it. That's, I mean, you're, you're seeing sell-off there. I mean, I'm down on wind today. Oh, so wind was down big. It went all the way down to 120 a share. Let's see where it's at now. Yeah, 120.44. This is one, I, I still like this one. I mean, I, you know, it's been getting hurt a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, the, they've been talking a lot about that Delta variant, Raz, the, the Delta variant of COVID. Yeah. I don't know which vaccine you got, but I got Pfizer. And I yeah. saw an article today saying that Pfizer's vaccine is heavily effective against the Delta. So that's good news for me. Yeah. But you're seeing gains in like Peloton today, um, Zoom, and you're seeing gains in that in that trade there. Um, in the, in the COVID trade. Yes, yes. So I I, I, tr I trimmed my Wendy's position a little bit when it went up, you know, and they're saying uh, the next memes, you know, the next uh, Reddit stock. So I've owned uh, Wendy's, you know, for I bought it at $11. I sold 200 shares at like 25, and I'm just keeping the 600, letting them ride. Thank you for joining us on the Power Hour.